Good morning to all of you. You can turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 9 for a message this morning. I was headed in a certain direction on the love of Christ and with revival meetings coming up. And uh, Eric touched that message last Sunday. I thought, well, I'll change gears for this week and come back to that in a couple weeks. Matthew chapter 9, if you'd like to follow along and take to heart um, what the Lord has laid on our hearts today. In preparation for revival meetings, I was thinking about how we sit here and all the things. There's no one here with the same exact background. I mean, there's quite varied thought processes that you were taught. Um, And I was thinking of the people who were present in Jesus' day. As Jesus stood up to teach, uh, picture the Sermon on the Mount and picture all the people standing there um, processing things according to what they were taught in a lot of ways and according to what they were wanting to get out of his teaching. Um, And I was just meditating on the different groups. So this morning's message is entitled, The Spectators. We want to lay a foundation for the message. Now, when preachers say foundation, lay a foundation, how many of you sigh? You don't have to admit it, but how many of you sigh and think, okay. So he wants to go the long way around what he could say in three minutes, really, but he wants to go the long way around. Um, We want to build a proper structure for your memory and my memory to take hold of something properly. There should be a foundation of what is said. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. And when Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then said he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the labors are few. Pray ye therefore that the Lord of the harvest will send forth labors into his harvest. Think about all the different types of people represented in the crowd that day. The spectators. There were Pharisees. There were Sadducees. There were lawyers. Can you imagine speaking in a group of lawyers? Uh, there were publicans and sinners. And there were disciples. Now, in all of these groups, I don't want to oversimplify it, but I, I want us to catch a picture of something. In all of these groups, whether you were a Pharisee, Sadducee, lawyer, publican, sinner, or disciple, <clears throat> there was basically two kinds of people. Number one, those who felt they had things down pat. And number two, those who felt they didn't. And all of them. There were people there, any group, wherever they were from, I think there was two kinds of people. Those who felt they had their religion and Christianity down pat, and those who felt that they didn't have their Christianity down pat. And what are some of the proofs there? Um, For people who feel like they have Christianity down pat, there's an air of superiority. And don't raise your hand, but how many of you have ever sensed an air of superiority in church life, in congregational life? Those of you who raise your hand, sorry, those of you who don't raise your hand are living proof. (laughs) Right? (laughs) So don't raise, anybody raise your hand. We don't, we're not trying to pinpoint people. 
But without realizing it, we can be a people who feel we got it all down pat. And what happens then is when someone has an air of superiority, it's even hard to describe that or even describe the family with that. But this is someone who thinks or talks disparagingly about others. That's literally what an air of superiority is. They think or talk disparagingly about others. Uh, Jesus later on in John says, those people are liars. They're not Christians, they're liars. You don't think and talk disparagingly about your fellow man. That's, that's a very... But a liar feels justified in what he's doing. He, he, he can lie and, and he feels like he can get away with it. So there's someone who speaks or thinks disparagingly about others and they feel like they have it all together. And there are also some who feel like they don't have it together, but they're leaning forward into the harness desiring to be changed. We want to look at the two different groups of those ideas into these groups that were there in Jesus' day. First of all, the Sadducees. Now, a lot of times we hear the Pharisees were the conservatives of the day. This was kind of an interesting study for me. Actually, the Sadducees were the conservatives of the day. <clears throat> um, they were the political rulers of the day. They would be what we would call the Republican Party of our day due to making up most of the Sanhedrin. Their truth was very narrow. They stuck to only the Torah. So the first five books of the Bible God spoke, and that's what we refer to as literal truth. And they championed truth. Um, if I could read this, leaders among the Pharisees were referred to as rabbi, while most of the Sadducees operated as priests and were members of the Sanhedrin. The Sadducees maintained that the first five books of the Bible, otherwise known as the Torah, were the greatest authority on God's will for the Jews. For the Sadducees, all other laws or texts outside the sacred Torah could not be counted as parts of the law. I find it interesting. So you, you picture a Sadducee, and he is someone who is very uh, dedicated to foundational truth. We don't widen up truth. It's very narrow and it's, he's very dedicated to foundational truth. But the very thing that there, he, the Sadducee is committed to is the very thing he's an heir of. It, it makes no sense and it's extremely human. Jesus corrected them on the very thing of misinterpreting Scripture you know, when they came and asked them, hey, if somebody gets married to this lady and all the husbands die seven times in a row, whose is she going to be in heaven? And this they were asking him because they didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe in the afterlife. But they were so convinced that they were the people who were truth foundation for us. There, there's, there's no way around it. We're standing on it. And Jesus told them this. Ye do err, listen to what he says, not knowing the Scriptures nor the power of God. Now, how would the Pharisee feel about that? He said, if he's God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he's not God of the dead. 
He's God of the living. What power is there if you're quoting a God of people who are dust and never anything again? You do err not knowing the Scriptures. But as the Sadducee stood in, in, in this crowd listening to Jesus, they had a mindset about them. They tended to be over here. They tend to feel they had godliness and Christianity down pat because we follow truth. This was their perspective. God has taught us so much. I have learned so much. I tell you, we as Mennonites can sit here with that same mentality. I have learned so much. Do you know, there was other people in that crowd that stood there and they said, I have so much to learn. I, I have so much to learn. I, I just, I don't have it down there. I, I got so much. Did they learn a lot? Absolutely. But as they actually turn to 1 Corinthians 8, very important verse. <clears throat> this is a very serious thing because it happens uh, repeatedly through not just the, in the New Testament era, but in our era where people say, you know, God told me. You understand what that's saying? I have nothing to learn on this from anyone here. Nothing. The Savior two bits. God told me. Rather than saying, hey, I got so much to learn. As I understand it. But using the trump card, God told me, eliminates the thing of, I have so much to learn. It's saying, I have learned all I need. Are you ready to listen now? 1 Corinthians 8, verse 1, is a powerful verse God is telling us here. Now, as touching things offered unto idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifieth. And if any man, that's a pretty encompassing word, think that he knoweth or has a complete understanding, think that he knoweth anything, he knoweth nothing yet as he ought to know. Those are really encompassing words that kind of circles around all of us. Does that mean we should be tentative about anything, everything? We don't know anything? This is speaking about someone who feels they have a total understanding on something. Um, I appreciated the, the saying. It says that he is impossible to get along with. Because he is, he thinks he is impossible to get along without. He is impossible to get along with. Because he thinks he's impossible to get along without. So there's people in the group there in Jesus' day who say, I have learned so much. There's also people who are there and they're saying, I have so much to learn. The 
Next group I want to look at is the lawyers. Uh, what's the what's the foundation of a lawyer? Describe a focus of a lawyer. Um, had a friend in, in CLE that is a lawyer, and he took the training for a couple of years there at college. He said, you know, think, I went to my uh, professor, and I, he said, I told him, this is a bunch of mush. You don't look for truth. You just look, how can I argue? I, it's just mush. He said, well, you want to be a lawyer or no? Well, you signed up. I didn't sign you up. Three times noted in Scripture that a lawyer asked Jesus a question. And I was thinking that just three times. Like, I would have thought 30 times. Anybody know offhand what was the three questions? The greatest commandment. commandment. Uh, That's a great discussion question, right? If I I would come and say, uh, um, everybody, what's the greatest commandment? We can have a discussion here, right? Uh, and then depending on you, how you get on the teeter-totter on that question, I'll jump on the other end, right? Or depending on how you get on, I'll just step to the side and watch it go kapow. Okay? Well, we can have a good discussion. What is the greatest commandment? Anybody know what the other one was? Who is my neighbor? And the one right before that same passage, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Um, discussion is good, all right? To the point where discussion is desired to find truth to live by. If I just want to cause an argument with somebody, if I just want to take up time, if I want to just prove to someone, you don't have all the answers, and now I want to discuss, or you could say argue, and you can say, well, okay, you're telling me I don't have all the answers. How about you? Do you feel like you do? Well, no, I just want a discussion. You know, I just want to, I want to stir things up. That's a lawyer. When they came to Jesus, uh, Jesus pointed them to truth. Okay, He didn't take the time to build a foundation and go way around the mulberry bush four times and everybody wondered. Now, I wonder, we had a good discussion, but I wonder what was... What truth do we walk away with here? Nobody wondered that when they asked Jesus a question. What's the greatest commandment? Love God with all your heart and your neighbor as yourself. Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Great discussion question. And then Jesus answered him and he said, it says in Scripture, he willing to justify himself. Said, who is my neighbor? This is the problem with the lawyers. Discussion is not wrong. Please don't hear me that I'm trying to beat down discussion. But the focus must be, how then should I live? If that's not my focus, there's no sense in me speaking up. If I'm not willing to change, how then should I now live? Uh, Theology became a game to them. And it's it's something that's easy to do. It, it's I can quiz people. I can I can show a knowledge, and there can be it's it's a worldly type of a a setting where there's we we can bat around 
psychology and theology until we're all dizzy and didn't know what we ha- what happened. But we had a good time. I mean, it, it can happen. <clears throat> so there are some people in the crowd listening to Jesus with no desire for change. Their focus was discussion. Let's have questions that, that trap, that corner, that... And there were others who were in that circle who felt like they didn't have it all together. And they were there thinking, Jesus, speak to my heart because I don't have it all down pat. I'm looking for answers. How then should I live? I believe someone who has a desire to have a transformation by truth or to truth. That's the underlying factor. Uh, a lot of times in today's world and in that world and in the old world, whatever age you live in, many times people try to have truth transformed rather than be transformed by the truth. And when you come and you hear God's word, I can tell you, you can tell, sometimes your heart can deceive its own self that you want truth. But are you trying to transform truth or have truth transform you? The scribes, turn to Mark chapter 12, verse 37. The scribes are also in the crowd. Mark chapter 12, verse 37. says, And the common people heard him gladly. Just the common ones. And he was talking to this group with the common people and all the Pharisees and the Sadducees and lawyers. The scribes were there too. And he said unto them in his doctrine, verse 38, Beware of the scribes. If you look in that verse, what what are we supposed to beware of? It says, Which love to go in long clothing. Beware. Um, Friday night, the youth were told to try to take a picture of a beware of dog sign, right? And I don't know how many got the beware of dog sign picture taken of, but nowhere do you get the idea when you see see the, the sign that says beware of dog. It doesn't mean be careful that you don't step on the puppy when you come in. Um, beware of dog means when, when you step in here, this dog might rip your arm off. And I'm not liable. That's what beware means. Beware of the scribes who love to go in long clothing. <clears throat> there were some in the crowd, even in that crowd, When they went home, they said, did you see what Melody was wearing? Did you see that? There were some in the crowd who thought, I wonder if she saw what I was wearing. Which loved to go in long clothing. They went home wondering who had the longest robe. I got serving God down pat. This is how serving God looks. Did you see what kind of clothes? 
And I'm not saying let's excuse immodest clothes, but do you think this went away after about 20 years after Jesus resurrected? There was a beggar lady in the crowd one day who was looking at garments. And she went home thinking, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, I'd be made whole. But some were so mesmerized with the temporal. And for a pretense, they would make long prayers and wear long robes. They were so mesmerized by words. Long prayers. They were so mesmerized by clothing that they didn't even stand in awe of the eternal. The Son of God was teaching them. They had, they had truth. They had perfection right in front of them. And they were looking at clothes. Thinking, you know, his suit doesn't match his pants. But his socks matches his t-shirt that shows out of his... And did you see? You think that's extreme? I'm telling you. In every group I've ever been part of, there's always some who capitalize on mesmerized with the temporal. Did you see? And they're not awed at the eternal when they step inside the church doors. You can't be both. It can't be both. Uh, can we have a concern? Can we share a concern of modesty and things like that? I'm not against that. But I am saying when we come to worship, we come to worship. Personal worship. And we're awed by the eternal. When a gathering becomes made up of people who attend but don't stand in awe of the eternal one. Churches have it more than worship. Captivated with awe of the eternal one. Somebody spoke of this in Sunday school class. Uh, Jesus said this to someone who thought they had it all down pat. Said who trusted in themselves. They felt like they had Christianity down pat. There was one over on this side who said, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. There was somebody over on this side who didn't care if the guy over there was Adolf Hitler or Billy Graham. Didn't matter to him one iota. He looked up to heaven and smote his breast and said, God, I don't have it all together. I need your mercy. We get so used to hearing things that we think, now I'm glad that so-and-so was there and I hope he got that. And we're so mesmerized with the temporal. Nothing wrong with wearing a long robe. But friends, we better be awed at the eternal and not miss out. The Pharisees were there in the group. You know, I find it interesting. We, we, we pigeonhole Pharisees as conservatives of that day. And actually, um, you can read it for yourself. Wikipedia calls them the liberals of their day. I'm thinking, 
What kind of conservatives did they have? This is pretty tight. They were looked as as the middle class people. The Sadducees were viewed as the elite or upper class people. The Pharisees were a political party like the Sadducees, much more a political party than a religious party, even though they tried to do both. The Pharisees also served on the Sanhedrin, but did not have the rule of the place. The Sadducees viewed the Pharisees as a liberal party. And how would they do that? I'm trying to wrap my mind around that. And if you base exactly your view of life on the Torah, and somebody sidesteps that, obviously you're going to call them a liberal. And that's how this was taking place. In the interpretation of, if we have a verse that says, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. The Sadducees say that's the Torah. It might be sad for you to see, but if you knock somebody's tooth out, we're coming to knock your tooth out. That's the only way to get it right. It says eye for an eye. So that was called the conservative approach. If you blinded somebody through ignorance or through some mistake of your or on purpose, they are coming and they would literally jab your eye. Um, an eye for an eye was literal. Now, the Pharisees looked at that and said, you know, let's look at this maybe a little more liberally and say, okay, if I poke someone's eye out, I need to pay you or reimburse you, I guess would be the word, reimburse you for my mistake or for that calamity. It doesn't literally mean poke an eye out there and poke an eye out here and soon everybody is a one-eyed person. It means you reimburse somebody that you have wronged. That was a liberal view. Those Sadducees, and they hated them for it. <clears throat> the Pharisees did desire to bring temple rituals to everyday life. Hence, they were obsessed with washing and cleaning, even to a point that it is sin if you do not wash properly. Did you hear that, young fellows? Did our boys hear that? Just checking in. They looked at it as a sin if you do not wash it properly. Their motive was right. Their motive was to bring practical holiness to everyday living. I shouldn't say their motive was right. I don't know their motive, but that was their desire. They want to bring temple rituals into everyday living. So there's every time you wash your hands, many times a day. Before any snack, before any meal, you wash. and they, they were washing things all the time. And it would help you remember that you need to be clean before God. Good idea in many ways. Jesus spoke to them. He said, In the meantime, when they were gathered together an innumerable multitude of people, insomuch that they trod one upon the other, he began to say unto his disciples, First of all, beware ye of the leaven of the Pharisees. Now, what is the leaven? Was it conservatism? Conservatism? What was the leaven of the Pharisees? It says, which is hypocrisy. And then he says this, For there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, neither hid that shall not be made known. So these were spectators. These, these Pharisees, as they stood in the crowd listening to Jesus, these were people who had the appearance presentable as good people. They looked like good people. But the leaven, the problem that Jesus saw was that they weren't good people. It wasn't about being conservative or liberal in that day. The leaven that they thought that they could cover, no one else knew, I can cover it as long as I'm presentable, I'm okay. 
as long as people observe, I have a high commitment to holiness. And I'm a member of the Pharisees. What I do when no one else sees, well, that's up to me. But look at my commitment. My commitment is unshakable. It is a Pharisee. I am, I am someone who has high, high commitment. And they would impress people by their tongue, by their teaching, to, by their commitment being extremely high, but the action on the same issue was extremely, extremely low. And God called them hypocrites. This is what they forgot. These people who felt they had it all down pat, this is what they forgot. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. It doesn't matter presentation. It doesn't matter application. You might be way, way, way down the road on making application, scriptural application in your life. But here is a truth that runs past every image we can ever build of ourselves. It says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Jesus says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Friends, our commitment to holiness and our action needs to be the same. And now for the practical side on that one. We can impress people by being a church member. I don't want you to raise your hand if you're a church member. A church member means you have committed yourself to a standard of living. That standard affects the media or a block thereof. That standard affects the internet. That standard affects the radio. That standard affects how often I come to church. And if I want to come to church, there's a commitment of being a member. I can have my commitment up here and say, yeah, I want to be part of the church. Absolutely. But the action on the same is down here. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. This is how we think, though. Yeah, but, uh, you know, I got it down pat. And compared to this other people, do you see what they're pushing and the lines they're crossing and the what? That's actually not the issue. You come and stand in awe of the Eternal One, and He says, let's get the action and the commitment on equal terms. Don't allow the leaven of the Pharisees to work in. And somehow I present an image of commitment, but in action, it's just not there. There were people there in Jesus' group that were thinking along those lines. I got serving God down pat. And there were excuses and there were justification when commitment and action aren't the same. We need to be honest about action. Friend, there's no one in here who says, you know, no, my action and my commitment has always been the same. There's no one in here. My Bible says in John, 1 John, if any man says, I have no sin, absolutely got her down pat. He doesn't call you a saint, he calls you a liar. And this is how you clean that up. Same chapter. If you confess your sins, He will cleanse. 
So it's not complicated. The last group, sorry, one of the last groups was publicans and sinners. Now, I, I, I like this group being in there. These were the outcasts. Of anybody religious, they, they did not fit in any of these. Publicans and sinners. Um, how many of you know of somebody who would rip you off if he had half a chance? You don't need to raise your hand. Rip you off if he had half of a chance and thinks that even if, he, even if you knew about it, if he could get away with it, as long as he could get away with the money, he's good. That's the people. The publicans. I make no bone about it. I'm charging three times. I'll charge you for a week's worth of work for a good day's hard labor, right? That's what these people were. Publicans were there. The sinners, these were the untaught, the dirty, the beggars, the welfare recipients. You say, well, yeah. These were the people that gleaned the corners of the fields that had to be left for them. These were the welfare recipients, the publicans and sinners. And these were people who came and they knew, and others knew, they didn't have it down pat. There was no question in anybody's mind, these people had problems. And they came to Jesus and they said, you know, the only people you have hanging around you anymore are the publicans and sinners. The people that don't have it down pat. And Jesus, when he heard it, said, they that are whole have no need of a physician. They that are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Friends, this week, I don't know who's going to hear Jesus' voice. But it will not be those who feel like they have it down pat. It will be those who say, hey, I got problems that I'm dealing with and I need the blood of Jesus and I need victory in Jesus. And I'm going to be an overcomer. The first step of those people who were spectators in the crowd was to, to admit that they don't have things down pat. The first step for them to hear God's voice, Jesus' voice calling to them, was to admit that they didn't have things down pat. The step for us to be able to live in revival, and revival come to my heart, and revival come to your heart, is that same step. Admit, I don't have it all together. And I'm not trying to impress you and give you the impression that I do. But Jesus Christ can give us victory when we confess and forsake. Those two things, especially confession, are downplayed so much in our day. Let's not lose track of them. And then the next step of needing, first of all, to hear God's voice, to hear His voice in revival, we must realize, I don't have it all down pat, and be willing to admit it to God and men. Second step to become a disciple uh, Philippians chapter 3. Turn to Philippians chapter 3. Because there's a last group that was in the crowd, and that were the disciples. Hey, do you know of any of the disciples who felt they had Christianity down pat? 
when they when they did, it seemed like they no longer were a disciple. If, they, if I have nothing to learn, why am I following? A disciple in Jesus' crowd, I believe, had these things here. They came with an attitude of not, I have learned a lot. They came with the attitude of, I have a lot to learn. They came with the attitude of, how should I live in light of this truth? I believe the disciples that were there in that crowd were captivated by awe of the eternal. Lord, where else could we go? You have the words of eternal life. We're not going anywhere else. And I believe every disciple there had a commitment equal to action. They weren't trying to present an image that made it play out better for them. They, they were absolutely straight out. Philippians 3.12. A very precious scripture. Not as though I, this is Paul speaking, had already attained. Either were already perfect. But I follow after if that I may apprehend that for which I also am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. But this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. That's a disciple and not just a spectator. It's easy to become a spectator. It is extremely easy to become a spectator. To show up and think, you know, I've learned a lot. And not looking at it from the reality of, do you have any idea how much you have to learn? Well, I'm close to God. Actually, you're closer to God. As you look, as His ways are so much higher than anyone's ways that you've ever known or ever heard of. And your ways are about an eighth inch off the ground rather than a sixteenth. You are closer to God. But when you understand the concept of how great and incredible and awesome God is and His power and His Word, you realize, I, I just have a long way to go. I don't have it all down pat and I'm learning. But when we switch from being a disciple to a spectator, that all goes out the window. Now we play the theological game. I don't need to confess. I don't need to repent. I haven't heard God's voice speak to me in a while. And so I imagine things and I listen to YouTube things and I think somehow God's portraying something through that. And I think it's pretty wild when we, when we step out of coming to our worship services and failing to stand in awe of God and His Word. Let's be real this week is my prayer. My prayer is that as I go through this week, I would worship. And I would be a disciple, not a spectator. If you're able to, would you kneel for prayer?